Lazarus from, was raised from the dead. But see, Lazarus could not die for the sins of mankind. Only Jesus could do that work. So his resurrection has much more meaning than anybody else that was ever raised from the dead. We could go to the Old Testament and we could say that uh, Elisha raised a woman's son from the dead. We see a number of different places where people are raised from the dead, but only one had the ability to pay the price for the sins of mankind and then raised from the dead to give us the same gift, to be freed from sin. He who knew no sin became sin so that we could be freed from sin. Amen? And Isaiah 53, 1 through 5 gives us a great, great picture of the work that Christ did. It says, Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one of those whom people hide their faces, he was despised. And we held him in low esteem. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Amen? See, a number of years ago, I began to ask the question, why did Jesus, I mean, in his resurrected body, I mean, all the power that's there, it says that by his wounds we are healed. Why did Jesus, in his resurrected body, keep his scars? Is God, I mean, is he more than capable of mending those scars to where they cannot be seen any longer? Absolutely. When you think of your glorified body in heaven, when one day we lay off this, this body and we will receive a glorified body, when you think of that, we don't tend to think of that new body as, as having necessarily the scars that we have here on earth. You know, I have a scar where I took concertina uh, wire <laughs> to the leg when I was in the military, and that scar is not going to go away. I wonder, you know, when I get to heaven, will my glorified body have those scars that are on my body? I can't answer that question, but what I can say to you is that Jesus kept his scars for a very specific reason. It's not the first time that question's been asked. I thought, you know, sometimes you have those thoughts and you think, I've never heard anybody talk about that before. And we're going to look into that a little bit today and, and find out a little bit more about some questions that have been asked over the years. This passage is saying that Jesus died for you and me. That his scars, they have a purpose for us. They're not just there, they're there for a reason. I believe that as we reflect on that, our skit team, they have been working very hard. When I say the skit team, it's a number of people from the congregation, but a lot of our youth have worked very hard to give us a a wonderful picture of what took place on the day that Jesus was crucified. And you're going to see a specific scene from this where he's whipped, and you're going to see him hung on a cross. And all those activities that took place that day, all those happenings, all those acts from people towards Jesus left scars on his body for our redemption. 
So his resurrected body, why did he keep the scars? The answer is redemption. It's redemption. It's proof of the redemption. Proof of the purchase. Sort of receipt, if you will, that is forever written on his body. You think if you go to the store and you purchase something, you get a receipt. You want to go back, if you want to show them that, yes, this belongs to me, you have to have what? Proof of purchase. Scars on Jesus' body is proof of purchase. He doesn't come back, see, he doesn't come back from the dead, and all of a sudden, it's like, no, that's somebody else, because you were never crucified, there's nothing to show of your purchase. He has every one of those scars, if you will, inscribes a price that was paid for the sins of mankind for that redemption, that purchase, if you will. The definition of redemption is the act of buying something back or paying a price to return something to your possession. See, we have always been God's creation. Mankind was God's creation. The devil creeped into the garden and he stole what belonged to God. First Adam, he turned it over willingly. The second Adam, Christ, which the Bible calls him, comes and he buys back mankind and returns God's prized possession. By the way, did you know that's exactly how Scripture defines us? That we are the prized possession of God? How many of you pay a rent or house payment? Give me an amen if you do. Amen. You know it all so well. Maybe a car payment or medical bills or, you know, it's at the end of your month after you've paid all your bills and you got some money left over, that's some money you really, really enjoy, right? That's that, that's that money that it, it's fun. You get to enjoy what you can do with it. Just so you know, when Christ died on the cross, that was, as defined uh, a word picture, what we call the, the, the money in your pocket, the money you can do something with. It, it was actually for God's pleasure, Jesus, the Bible says that it was the joy set before him. It wasn't something that, i got to pay this payment. It was something he wanted to do because of how much he loved mankind. Amen? Redemption uh, is the English translation of the Greek word agorezo, meaning to purchase in the marketplace. Here's another great picture that in ancient times it actually was often referred to as the acting, acting of buying a slave. That the act of going out and buying a slave. Each and every one of us were born slaves to sin. And we really couldn't control it. It just started to happen. You know, my grandson is clicking up on 18 months old here. And, and I can tell you now, it's kind of like he walks across and he starts to grab something he's not supposed to. And here's what you know. Here's what you know. In him, there is already that sin nature at work. Because he goes to grab that thing, and what does he do? He, he already knows he shouldn't be doing it, but he does it anyway. We know, I would say most people know the things that they shouldn't do. But it's kind of that, look back. It's in us. We're born with it, subjected to it, the futility that we were subjected to in sin. But Jesus came to give us a way to be bought back from that slavery, amen? See, 
the Christian use of the word redemption means Jesus Christ, through his sacrificial death, purchased believers from slavery of sin and set us free from the bondage of sin. Not only did he free us from it, but he also gave us the power to rule over it. Just like uh, in the beginning, in the garden, see, Adam sinned, and the next thing you know, it gets passed down, and we've got Cain, where he's angry that he didn't find favor with God because Cain comes to God the way he wants to come to God. He comes to God with his attitude and says, well, this is going to be good enough. I'll come to you the way I want to come to you, God. Abel came the way God had uh, required man to come to him. And watch this. In that, Abel sacrificed a lamb. What what was that an example of? That was an example of what God was going to do for all mankind through his son Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. God was going to give that, and he set in motion blood sacrifice. Blood is the only thing that will ever satisfy sin. Abel comes with a blood sacrifice, and Cain comes and offers grain to God. See, uh, Abel comes with something that is... is, um, what, what work did Abel have in giving that life to that lamb? The Bible also declares that the life of the body is in the blood. And we understand that if, if your blood drains out of your body, guess what you just lost? You lost your life. Life is given for life. And that's what the example was with that sacrifice. Cain came the way he wanted to come. And what happened when he didn't find favor with God... His anger entered his heart, and he wanted to kill his brother. God says to him, sin is lurking at the door, but I would have you rule over it. When God gave his only son to die on the cross to redeem us, to buy us back from that slavery, what he did is he also gave us the resurrection power to rule over sin in our life. Can you say amen in the house of the Lord? Another Greek word relating to this term is ex Agarezo. Redemption always involves going from something to something. In this case, it is Christ freeing us from the bondage of the law to freedom of the new life in Him. So, so we're freed from, here's all the righteous requirements that is given. And the Bible says that where the law where it was weak, when Christ came and He died on the cross, what He did is by His grace... He made it possible for us to live out a righteous life in Him. Say this with me. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Emphasis in Christ. It's not I am the righteousness. The emphasis is you are the righteousness of God, absolutely. But the only way that you are righteous is if you're in Christ. And that not by something you earned but by something Christ did and bestowed upon you as a gift. Amen? The third Greek word uh, connected to to redemption is latru, meaning to obtain or, if you will, release by payment of price. The price in Christianity was Christ's precious blood obtaining our release from sin once again. I discovered this question about scars if you will, the scars of Jesus was not a new one. I already told you that. Now, uh, you know, the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. Did you know that? You know, we come up with this, you know, uh, amazing idea or thought, and we think, man, this is all brand new. And, and then only to find out that somebody else is thinking it, right? 
Um, all I had to do, it's kind of like, you know, I'm working on this, and I used to, to share a message about guarding your heart, and it had to do with growing up, growing up through abuse, coming through all the different things I did in life, and being an overcomer, that Christ gave me the power to overcome those things. See, the world would tell me uh, you were beat, so you'll probably beat other people. The world would tell me you were molested, so you'll molest other people. The world would tell me that was done to you, so you're going to go and do that to somebody else. And I say that in the, in the power of Christ's resurrection, it doesn't have to be that way. Amen. You can live your life in righteousness because of being in Christ. And so in that, um, I used to share that, guard your heart. You've got to get in there and you've got to find out the junk that's going on in there, confront it, and let Christ come and transform you by the washing of the water of his word. What he will do is he'll begin to allow you to have a renewed mind through his word. And the power of the Holy Spirit comes to guide you into all truth. The Bible says that he will teach you and you'll have no need to be taught by another man. It's like, okay, can we leave right now, Pastor? Why do we need to hear you then? We learn from one another, but God's intent is that in this teaching, if anything, we all leave here understanding that we go to God directly. We don't go through another man. If anything, it should be an encouragement to us to get closer to God ourselves, not I'll get closer to God by going through that person, but getting closer to God by going through the person of Jesus Christ, by allowing the Holy Spirit to be the one to draw you into that. Last week, I talked about the fact that the Son came and He spoke of the Father, and the Spirit has come and He speaks of the Son. It's the Spirit that draws us to the Father, and He always draws us to the Father through the Son. There's no other way to come to God except through the son, his son Jesus Christ amen so um, all you got to do when you come up with an idea to find out man this is original or not you hit Google or Bing or something like that and you're like I wonder if anybody's ever thought yeah like 50 people have thought of this already but there's some originality in the things that God has spoken to my heart concerning in those matters the person who had this thought before his name was St. Thomas Aquinas anybody ever heard of him Really, really old dude. He's gone now. He answered the question in Summa Theologia at whether Christ's body ought to have risen with its scars. He gives five reasons for why Christ rose with the scars of his passion. We are his passion. The scars of his passion. He gave his life for us. You've heard of it called the passion of the Christ. He rose with the scars of his passion. He said, I answer that. It was fitting for Christ's soul at his resurrection to resume the body with its scars. In the first place, uh, for Christ's own glory, that he kept his scars not from inability to heal them, but to wear them as an everlasting trophy of his victory. Hence, Augustine says in Decive Dei, perhaps in the kingdom we shall see the bodies of the martyrs, the traces of the wounds. Now this is subjective. The traces of the wounds which they bore for Christ's name, because it will not be a deformity. I said it will not be a deformity, but it will be dignity. That whatever I endure for the sake of Christ is worth enduring. Whatever persecution we, we may endure on this earth for the sake of Christ and our testimony in Him and our faith toward Him, they are worth enduring. When we hear about brothers and sisters around the world whose heads are being taken for their faith in Christ, let me say that it's not deformity, it is dignity. For them to have such faith that they would give their life 
to proclaim the testimony of Jesus Christ for them. That was a great place for you to say amen. See, I think there is a certain kind of dignity in the testimony of someone who has been through abuse, mistreatment, self-inflicted pain. Because really, when you think about your own scars, when you think about the things you go through in life, they come from others and they come from yourself. And I think there's a certain amount of dignity that comes when you rise above those things and you allow Jesus to work in your life to where they no longer are a testimony of bitterness, but they become a testimony of redemption. First, a testimony of telling the story of Christ's redemptive power and that at work in you, and therefore because of that, I have been redeemed from the curse of the law. And I get to live my life in such a way that there's joy. Even though we, we go through things and, and we may go through things, the thing is there is a hope that's in us. Because not only have we been redeemed, we're being redeemed. And guess what? One day, we will be redeemed forevermore. The Bible talks about that in that final day, look up for your... Do we have some saints in the house this morning? Look up for your redemption draweth nigh. He's coming back for us, amen? Secondly, uh, Aquinas said this, that, that Christ bore the scars or came back with the scars because it confirms the hearts of his disciples as to the faith in his resurrection. Thirdly, that when he pleads for us with the Father, he may always show in manner of, of death what he endured for us. See, the Bible says that he's making intercession for us. Did you know that? Do you, do you, the Bible says that he, we have an advocate with the Father. Anybody know who our advocate is? Jesus is our advocate. Satan is the accuser of the brethren, so he comes and he will accuse day and night. He'll accuse you day and night for your wrongs and where you fall short. But Christ is in heaven, and where your faith is placed in him, where your trust is placed in him, this is, this is where Christ simply says, I paid the price for that sin. See, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, is what the Bible says. And then in that, if you're faithful to confess your sins, that God is faithful and, not just faithful, but he's faithful and just to forgive them. And that Jesus is right there standing, Father, I paid the price for that. They've confessed that, and the Father pronounces what? The righteousness, his righteousness, over your life because you are found in Christ. Would you give me water? I'm getting that raspy. I love Colorado, but man, oh man, I can't stay hydrated in Colorado. <clears throat> Fourthly, that he may convince those redeemed in his blood how mercifully, how mercifully they have been helped as he exposes before them the traces of the same death. And lastly, that in judgment day, he may abrade them with their just condemnation. Now that, that one, that last thought, it's a pretty strong thought. For those who put their life in Christ, those who put their faith in Christ and accept him as their Lord and Savior, you're freed. For those that renounce that, denounce that, have nothing want nothing to do with it what happens is is those scars become a testimony 
against them on the day of judgment. The Bible says, for we all will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Every, every human being ever born will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Cool thing is, you don't get to judge me. I don't get to judge you. Jesus is the one that does the judging, amen? He's the judge. He is the Lamb of God that took away the sins of the world. And therefore, uh, when we read in the book of Revelation, it says, who is worthy to open the book? What, the book of life? Where the names have been pinned in there. Now, I want to I point this out. You know that a lot of times people say, your name gets written in the Lamb's book of life. See, when Jesus died, he died for some people, right? Come on now. No, right? Did he die for the whole world? Now, I want to say this to you because you need to understand that he'll actually blot your name out of the Lamb's book of life. When he died on the cross, his idea wasn't like, well, I'm going to write some names in there and some not. You go and you read that passage, what you're going to find is, is that, so, so God gave his only begotten son that whoever believes on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's why he sent his son into the earth. Jesus wasn't looking at, I'm going to pick some and, and others I'm going to reject. There was, there was no rejection in the heart of Christ towards anyone. As a matter of fact, you saw people being rejected by other people, and when they came to Jesus, what was he doing? He was accepting them. In a sense, he was inviting them into his, he was, he was hey, I'm going to write you in here. I've written you in, not out. Say, I'm in, not out. Uh, it, why? Because of the redemptive scars of Christ, you're in and not out. See, if the work of grace is good enough, if the work of grace is enough, then you have to earn it. The work of grace is enough. Nobody has to earn it. They simply have to accept it. But if they don't accept it, on that day, his scars stand as a testimony. All that he did on the cross stands as a testimony against those who reject Christ, and then they receive their just punishment, is what the Bible says. For those who place faith in Christ, the Bible declares that we will receive our just reward. Matter of fact, God says this, enter into the rest, right, that I've prepared for you. For those who reject Christ, they receive the just punishment. Luke 24, 36 through 49 gives us, uh, I believe, a, a wonderful picture uh, displaying that Jesus' scars declare redemption for all mankind. And it simply takes our faith uh, in the work that he's done. It says this. Uh, oh, sorry, i got to get back to that page. Uh, verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me, see, a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they uh, still did not believe, while they still did not believe, while they still did not believe. How many times did you have to hear the gospel before you believed? How many times did you have to experience God's presence touching you before you believed? And yet, it, it, and if anything, it probably prompted more questions then you felt like it gave answers initially. But there was a moment when faith was ignited in your heart around the work that Christ did, and you were open to believe. 
For these guys, Jesus is, is working to bring them to this point. Watch this. And while they still did not believe it, because of the joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and Psalms. Then he opened their minds. Say he opened their minds. You ever heard somebody say, hey, just have an open mind? He opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Right here, I want to pause for a moment. I ask you, close your eyes. Father, if there's anything we all walk away from here today with, help us to have an open mind so you can bring us to a place, Father, of understanding the scriptures. I think how often I've read them and had, man, that brings more questions than answers to me. But Lord, there's something about your spirit moving upon your word and opening our minds to understand the scriptures. Jesus, you're the one with the power to do that. So Father, each of us, let us understand the scriptures more and more in this walk we have with you. He told them, this is what was written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. See, see, the message of Christ, the redemptive story, the redemptive scars, the resurrection power, all of that, Jesus is saying right here, by the way, when you hear all of this, this is what it's going to be in a nutshell. It's going to be preached for the repentance of sins. That there's a moment for us that we recognize and say, I need to come to Christ. I need to turn from my ways and follow his ways. I need to accept his sacrifice because there's nothing I'll ever do that's good enough to gain me access to heaven or to bring God's grace in my life. It's only Christ that bestows that on me. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you, excuse me, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Can anybody tell me what Jesus was referring to there? He was referring to the Holy Spirit. He was referring to the day of Pentecost when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. That's another key thing for us to do, to walk in this life that Christ has provided for us. I can say this, that very few will ever find the comfort they need without the comforter. Now, I know people can find comfort, and we can comfort people, but you won't find the comfort you need, eternal comfort, without the Holy Spirit because He is the one that was sent from the Father to give you a level of comfort. Watch, even when you mess up, even when you fall short, when you decide to follow Christ. Anybody in here not fall short after following Christ? Y'all feeling me on this one? When you do, that you don't enter into condemnation, but you rise in the power of God's grace because it's His work. And it keeps you coming to Him. It doesn't cause you to run away from Him. Can you say amen? So I think of not accepting the redeeming work of Christ. If I, if I was to think that, we, that for people not to accept the redeeming work of Christ, it's kind of like, if you have a disease, if you've got cancer or you've got something like that and someone says, we have a cure for that, and you're like, I don't want it. Anybody in here do that? Anybody have the common cold? 
ever have a common cold? I mean, it's not to confess, I don't want the common cold in my life. I'm saying, have you ever had a cold? Right? Pretty much everybody. Anybody in here ever been sick in any way, shape, or form? Probably everybody at some time or another. Now, we know that it's, who, who comes to kill, steal, and destroy? Who comes to put that stuff on us? Now, it originated in the garden, subjected men to futility, sickness, disease. That doesn't come from God. Can you say Amen. So, so that's the case, but it still is here, and it's things we contend with and deal with, right? And so when you think about that, if someone come up to you and, and, and they said, hey, uh, all you got to do is take this pill, and like if you start to feel like you're getting a cold, you take this pill, and it's gone. You, you'll never have another cold in your life. Would you take it? Now, now let, me, let me ask you this. You know, I understand that we have flesh and we contend with that, but when the Bible declares in the scripture I read as we began, and it says this, that by his stripes we're healed, did you know there's already a pill for that? It's called the stripes on the back of Jesus. 39. 39 of those stripes. Now, it's kind of like, oh yeah, but those were kind of more like lashes. They weren't something that left scars. Oh no, if you ever go back and you study that, you're going to find the cat of nine tails. Anybody ever heard what that's like? It's got glass on it, nails, what, you know, it's got bones and when they would whip him with that it would stick in his body and then they'd rip it back out it left scars on his back those stripes he took were not just spankings like we might give our kids those 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 lashes that he took left scars on his back 39 of them 39 lashes do you know that the medical science categorizes sickness in how many categories anybody 39 do you think it's just coincidence? I don't think so. I think when Jesus says, by his stripes, by his stripes, we are healed. I think that declaration was, everything that you may face, I can heal it. If you'll trust me and believe in me. Pastor, are you telling me to throw my medicine out? <laughs> Absolutely not. See, I say take your medicine until your medicine starts to make you sick, and then go see your doctor and say, you don't need to take this anymore because you've been healed. Get prayer as often as you can for those kind of things. But, but ultimately, it's like throw your medicine out when you don't have faith, then you might not live long enough to have faith. <laughs> oh, praise God. How many of you already want to get out of here and go home and eat that nice Easter lunch? I'm getting ready to wrap up. This message is to set a tone to go in a series called Scars. We're going to talk a little bit more about the redemptive work of Christ over the next four weeks. We're going to talk about how his redemptive work and your life and, and your faith brings you to a place of the declaration of your scars as a testimony of redemption and not one of offense, not one of anger, not one of bitterness, so that other people see you and they actually see Christ in you and they're drawn to his love, and they can experience his redemptive power in their own lives. His scars tell us that our scars can tell a different story. What are your scars today? Do you know what they are? If you know what they are, then I hope over the next four weeks, they can be set on a new, new uh, pace of how they're shared let me give you some biblical references for redemption before we go today. Some biblical references to redemption, Luke 27 through 28. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming 
in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads. What? Because your redemption is drawing nigh. Romans 3.23-24 For all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ. Ephesians 1, 7 through 8, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that have, listen, that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Lavished. It's not a word you use a lot, but I think we get it, right? It's not just a little bit, but it's poured out. It's in excess. Why? Because every one of us needed an excess. Can you say amen? Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree, hung on a cross, hung on wood. Jesus was hung on a tree. He was cursed so that we can be, someone, blessed. Say, Jesus was cursed so that I can be blessed. Do you believe that? Do you believe it today? Then every time something comes in your life that looks the opposite of what God's word declares for you, are you able to take that thought captive then and subject it to the knowledge of God? Ah, what's that say right there? Subject it to the knowledge of God. Why? Curses everyone who hung on a tree. Uh, or, sorry, I got to go back up. Um, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. The riches, that's where he lavished it on us, right? Lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. God knows what he's doing. Let's say that together. God knows what he's doing. Yeah, I'll tell you that's one of the greatest revelations you could ever get. Is that no matter what's going on in your life, that you can actually look at your situations, your circumstances, the things that you face, and you could actually say, okay, this might look like this, but God knows what he's doing. And get to him. Go to him. Seek him. Ask him to help you understand his wisdom in that situation so that his grace can work for you. It's there. It's kind of like just waiting to work for you, but it's all about opening yourself up to say, I'm not going to allow this to influence me greater than God's word influences me. I'm certainly not going to allow these situations to influence me. They, they influence us. Look, let's not be you know, fools and say, well, no, that never bothers me. None of that bothers me. We might get to that place, but it's going to be because of faith. It's going to be because of God's grace working in our life that we get to the place of looking at those things and saying, God knows what he's doing. I can trust him, and if I can get to him, I'll get through this. You know, I'll go through the water. I will not drown. I'll move through the fire, and guess what? I'm also not going to be burned. But the Bible doesn't promise you that you won't have to go through it. It just promises you if you put your trust in Christ that you'll get through it. Amen? So whatever your story, uh, whatever the story that Christ has made uh, for in your life, whatever that looks like, it's important for you to recognize that he wants to be reflected out of that. Whatever, whatever those situations are, it's important to recognize that Christ wants to be reflected out of that story and his story of redemption be what people see. If we can get to that place, then all of a sudden we're not living our life for ourselves anymore, are we? 
we're living our life for him. And then we start to fulfill this. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet it's not I that live, but it's Christ that's living in me. When that moment happens, people begin to see Christ through you. They begin to be drawn to him in relationship through you. There is no greater miracle. I don't believe there's any greater miracle on the face of this planet than when you're talking to somebody and you're sharing your story and how Christ has worked in your life and you see their eyes light up and them start to have an open mind and the word of God begin to go in. And what, what does it take? Uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God that when you're sharing that, that all of a sudden faith fills their heart towards Christ. And you become the person that God works through to draw them to himself. I'm going to tell you there is no feeling like that in the entire world than watching somebody come to faith in Jesus Christ through you, through your story, through your testimony. Why? Because again, what, when we think of the scars, what happened with every one of those scars? Before they were scars, they were open wounds. And those open wounds did something. Can anybody tell me what they did? They bled we overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony when we get to that place we overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony that basically what happens is the scars of jesus the 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 wounds that bled when he was resurrected from the dead they were scars that bring a redemptive work in our life that the wounds that we feel that we in a sense be emotionally mentally or physically bleed that, that when Christ heals us, by his wounds we're healed, then all of a sudden our story tells the story of redemption and points the way back to the one who has redeemed us. Can you say amen in the house of the Lord this morning? Could I ask you to stand to your feet for a moment and just close your eyes? And I want to ask you a question this morning. We're going to take communion as we, as we finish this morning, but I want to let you stand and stretch as you think about this. And every head bowed, every eye closed, because I'm going to ask if there's anyone in the room. And it's not that they shouldn't do it publicly. It's just that it's not about embarrassment, and God's not an embarrassment, and he's an embarrasser, and he's courteous. But if you're in the room today, and you know that, you know, I've never accepted Jesus as my Savior. I don't believe I've ever confessed. I don't know that I've ever believed in my heart and confessed with my mouth that he's my Lord. And then he died on the cross for me. And if that's you, every head bowed, every eye closed, please. I just want you to lift your hands. I want to know and pray for you. If you're in here today, you never made Jesus the Savior of your life. I just lift your hand up, slip it up there. You see, nobody in the room. Everybody's saved. <laughs> or I hope you are. Okay, I see a number of hands going up now. Sometimes it just takes a little bit of time for confidence to fill the heart. Anybody else? This is your day. If you felt those words going into your heart, you feel your heart kind of racing, it's God setting down on your heart, offering you an opportunity to receive eternal life. Okay. I'm going to ask us all to do this as a congregation. There's a lot more in here that's given their life to Christ than, than are today. But how many of you know that the Bible says, you can open your eyes now, the Bible says, just for one who repents. What's the message that Jesus gives us when we're saved by his grace? A message to go 
and preach repentance to the world. And just one, there was three hands that went up today. I hope you come see me after the service. I'd love to talk to you. Three hands went up today. And if all of heaven, all of heaven, stands and rejoices over one who repents, one of these little ones who repents, stands and rejoices. Why? Because that person is embraced into the family of God. Can be filled with the Spirit of God. And as the word proclaims, cry out, Abba, Father. Can call the Heavenly Father, God Almighty. You actually can call Him Daddy now. When you're in those moments and life seems too difficult, Daddy knows how to take care of you. Amen? Would you, would you all pray this prayer with me? And those that raise their hand, pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ. That he died on the cross for me. And that it was more than enough for the sins that I've committed to redeem me from the curse of the law. That which would banish me. But Father, bringing grace for acceptance. I receive that right now. I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And your word declares that when we do this, we are saved. So Lord, today, I thank you for my salvation. I look forward to growing in you. And I certainly look forward to going to heaven. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Would you take a seat real quick? We're going to receive communion. The ushers would come and begin to pass the elements. You heard the announcement about water baptism. Next week we're going to do a water baptism. Those of you that prayed that prayer for the very first time, or maybe some of you have prayed that prayer over the last few months and you haven't had an opportunity to get baptized in water, we invite you to come back out next week. And uh, if you would, at the end of service, uh, Joshua over here in the blue shirt on the guitar, the one that did the baptism, uh, you might not recognize him, he had his black mustache on. Um, but see him after service, and what he'll do is he'll get your information, and we'll make sure we get you uh, lined out for the water baptism next week. And I know we've got anywhere from, from 5 to 10, uh, depending on what some of those who, who receive Christ today, how that goes. But that'll be a wonderful time of celebration next week. And um, the Bible gives us that there are two ordinances in Scripture. Jesus more or less orders us to do it. It's water baptism. You know, that we'd be baptized for the remission of our sin. And that, that when we come together, that we'd share the body and the blood of Christ. That there are the symbols of the, the grape juice and the, the, the crackers, you know, that it's the bread. He is the living bread that came down from above. And the juice representing the blood that was shed on the cross. His body that was broken and his blood that was shed. It's the stripes. It's the scars. The bread, see. And it's the blood that washes our sins away. And so that's another ordinance that Jesus, uh, as oft as we do this, we do it in remembrance of him. And so in this moment, if there are things in your life, the Bible says not to take it unworthily. And if there are things in your life you know, like, man, I need to repent of that, repent of it. Give it to him. His grace is sufficient. You know, it'll, it'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Just take a moment and reflect on those areas of your life that you may have that you need to just give to him so that his grace can, can work in your life all the more.
1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26 reflects upon the work of Christ with regard to the Lord's Supper, which is what this is. And it says, uh, verse 23, For I received from the Lord, Laurel, you can, it's okay. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks and broke it, he said, Take, eat, this is my body, which was broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. In verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The only way he could come again was because he was resurrected from that death. Amen. Amen. We proclaim him dying, coming again because of the power of his resurrection. Amen, amen. Can you give the Lord a hand clap this morning? Well, it has been our tradition that when we do a skit, something where they work very hard, and we're so thankful for all that volunteered to be a part of that. They practiced. They were here extra time on Sundays. They came out Saturday, and they practiced very hard. Didn't they do a good job? Yeah, yeah very good job. Uh, and so we, but we've always given flowers to the person who directed it. And so it happens to be my daughter, Danielle. Would you come, please? Take a bow. And we want to thank you so much for all the hard work that you put in. The whole team, I know you, I've already told you you can feed them some good food for their work, but we just wanted to thank you so much for the extra time you dedicated uh, to bring them together as a team. I know there's a number of folks that gathered around you, and it would have been impossible without volunteers from the church body to make it happen. So thank you. And I get to kiss you. <laughs> have a great Easter.